It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, it's time for your daily assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to, uh, to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our good friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, guys. Doing just fine. Good afternoon. So any idea if you would make the cut or not for this Disney World idea? I don't know. We've been talking about that in media circles. Um, I was more of the optimistic sort, and maybe I'm overvaluing you know, our place in the whole NBA ecosystem. But I think it's certainly uh, in question. You know, it's just, uh, I mean, first of all, you know, will it happen? whether it's Vegas or Disney World or, you know, multiple cities potentially. But then, yeah, like what's what's the headcount look like? Because it's crazy once you count up the teams and the training staffs and the coaching staffs and the support staff and then the broadcast team. You know, once you get to that point, it's hundreds of people. So I just don't know how, uh, how limited they want to keep it. But, uh, you know, I'm also torn about doing it, like – and Gordon, you can relate where, you know, it'd be really interesting professionally, but then it's also a little bit like the players and, and probably their mixed emotions. Like, yeah, you want to play, but do I want to go be away from my family for six weeks and, and only be able to go to a few limited places physically? I don't know. That's a different question for sure. For a while there, Sam, I was, I was kind of just to a point where I was thinking it isn't going to happen. But now I, I'm starting to think maybe it will happen. And I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like the, de- the devil's in the details, right? How, how is it all going to play out? But I, I don't know. I'm just getting sort of this impression like there are the powers that be want to push it forward. I tried to tell you, Gordon, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I know. I know. But you're Nobody you're, believe me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the optimism has been there for a while. Now, there's been, you know, pockets of cynicism. And even at our place at The Athletic, you know, we we got some top-notch basketball reporters, obviously. And we have, like, this internal channel where people share information. And even the kind of kind of looking, looking at some of the comments on there of different conversations people have had around the league, it's a fairly mixed bag as far as optimism versus pessimism. But I will say this. I mean, today... I thought was fascinating because um, two prominent owners, Mark Cuban of the Mavericks and Mark Lazary of the Bucks, come out publicly. And you know, I don't know if I missed anybody else, but they come out publicly and say, you know, Mark said that he definitely thought there would be a playoff. And I'm sorry, Mark Lazary, and Mark Cuban said he was cautiously optimistic. And they were on CNN and also uh, CNBC. And, you know, that got my attention because, honestly, those guys are not saying that publicly if – I'm safe, you know, thinking this – if the league and the NBA don't know that they're going to go out and say something like that. And Mark Cuban, in particular, is part of the task force that involves the president and then, uh, in terms of, like, the, the commission on reopening the economy. And so Cuban's perspective goes well beyond the scope of being the owner of one team. So, uh, you know, again, the devil is in the details. The devil is also in 
it just the, the curve, so to speak. And, and while the rates have gone down, you know, all it would take uh, right now is, is a spike of any significance to change the landscape again for everybody. So, you know, that's where you got to qualify this stuff. I, I do think they appear to be moving closer towards possibly having a playoffs, but uh, but that could change by next week for all I know. What do you think about the NBA negotiating on when to um, uh, open up facilities where they had initially sent uh, set the date of May 1st but bumped it back to May 8th? And it's it's not just about safety but also competitive balance, right, where some states can do it before others. How do you think that will sort itself out? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, shameless plug here. We have a fairly comprehensive story on that coming out in the morning um, trying to explore some of those dynamics and I mean, where I fall on it is they're just going to have to put up with a certain competitive disadvantage for a fairly short amount of time. Again, if things continue to reopen, I think that'll get settled relatively quickly. And the other distinction here is like, you know, I've seen the 19-page memo that the NBA sent to teams detailing every last detail of, of what you would have to do to your facility to reopen. And, but I mean, we're talking about individual workouts where um, it's a one-player, one-basket rule. Um, you cannot work out. For one, they're voluntary. Teams are not even allowed to request a player's presence at all. Um, but it's voluntary, and they are not allowed to work with any coach on the front of the bench, so to speak. So that would be Quinn Snyder and his top assistant for the Jazz. Uh, you can work with a behind-the-bench coach or a player development coach. And it's just, but it's limited. It's, you know, you're obviously out there by yourself. Um, you can get treatment. Um, and that's a benefit. I think part of this for some of these teams, as far as like the NBA's reason behind it, is that I think there was a concern that NBA players would, you know, I mean, they are dying to get on a court right now that they would, in some of these states where the restrictions have been lifted, that they would just run over to the local YMCA or the local 24 hour fitness where that's not a controlled environment and, and the NBA couldn't really account for the, the safety of that sort of a setting. So that's part of it. And then I think from there, we'll have to wait and see if it was a first step toward a return or if uh, it was just a kind of a, a one-off because of what's happening in the rest of the country. So in your mind, Dr. Amick, uh, how do you what, – what is the ideal – Situation, or the most likely, let me say it this way, the most likely scenario as far as how this will be put together and what it will look like? I don't really know yet. I mean, I actually, I would like to in the next few days or week um, write, you know, I've got some pretty good information on the Vegas front and kind of how that might look and not only the logistics, but, you know, the, the playing format ideas that some people have kind of been in the league here about. But admittedly, because the Walt Disney World thing kind of became front and center this week, you know, my focus kind of shifted there where that, I mean, there's just, it makes a lot of sense. And I have been in touch with some players about that prospect. They seem to be pretty open to it. But the synergy, I guess synergy and control would be the two things that jumped out to me. The synergy is that um, you're talking about Disney as a company, which, you know, last I checked was losing um, what was it, $30 million a day, I believe. They were just hemorrhaging money. They obviously own ESPN, and they've got the partnership with ABC, and that's the big-time partner with TNT, 
of the, the, the NBA's TV contract. So the synergy is, okay, not only are you helping, you know, your TV arm by, you know, providing a, a place that has arenas and, and, and you could pull it off, you are also uh, on private property. So you can control the environment in a much different way than if you tried to do the Las Vegas approach. Because uh, Vegas obviously being private property, you know, it's fragmented all over the place, but, you know, it's in the midst of public property and it's just a lot trickier. So the Disney World thing, you know, right now seems to be front and center. But um, I've also been told that it could be, you know, four or five, six different cities where you you have kind of, you know, the bubble city idea, but actually kind of parsed out among quite a few cities. I don't know which one, if they can do this, kind of wins the day, but, you know, I think they're uh, chewing on everything right now. Sam Amick with us uh, from The Athletic on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, switching gears a little bit, as you know, we're watching along with this Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And uh, over the weekend, in episode three, they highlighted, or I guess three and four for that matter, they highlighted the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys, and getting past that hump for uh, Jordan and the Bulls. And Rex Chapman uh, sent out a tweet that said the, the 90s Utah Jazz were just as, I can't remember what the word he used was, but just as rough as the bad boy pistons they just never got the pub what do you think about that opinion um you know i'm not it doesn't strike me as that off to be totally honest with you i mean there was a lot of pub i mean for one you had you had more personality on those pistons teams you know what i mean you know the mailman was a larger than life figure but he didn't talk as much as Bill Lambeer. Uh, you know, John Stockton was workmanlike, but, you know, he'd sit there with that stoic look on his face and and 100% put an elbow in your back on a, on a back screen or something. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, John was, was, was tough, and, you know, there were times that he was accused of being dirty. Um, so, I, mean, I know it kind of seems like sacrilege to use that word, but, I mean, they – they played hard, and you know. Then you get into the later. Uh, I've got Matt Harpering on my mind. Was Matt part of those teams? Uh, he came out a little later, but uh, he, you he could include him in the convo. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, and then uh, just I mean, there, there was a physicality with those Jazz teams. But the thing with the Bad Boys is that the Jazz, for one, they didn't have as many playoff battles with the Bulls, obviously, um, in terms of, you know, the Pistons being the team that, that kept Jordan down before he could even get to the finals for all those years. And within that, you had the Jordan rules, which were, you know, as Chuck Daly uh, designed to keep Jordan at bay. And they just that was one of my favorite parts of the last couple episodes of the documentary was the actual tactical breakdown. I think it was um, Brendan Malone, former Pistons assistant coach, and Mike Malone's father, the uh, the Denver Nuggets head coach, breaking down just what that actually meant. You know, funnel Michael to the baseline, uh, you know, and basically if it gets anywhere in the paint, you got to level him and get him out. So, I mean, I get the conversation. Um, I don't know which one is more physical, but everything with the Pistons and the Bulls, uh, in the end, was a lot more high profile. Sam, is there anything that, as you've had time to reflect over the past number of weeks, uh, anything that you know now or something has dawned on you that you didn't know when you were hustling and bustling around doing what you typically do during a normal season? 
Um, help me with that one, Gordon, a little bit. From what you, standpoint? Uh, just from as you've observed and had time to think about uh, things that you've been able to watch the Jordan series uh, reflect oh, sure. on his career. Is there is there anything that you've had time to ruminate over? That uh, that you normally uh, would not have gotten to uh, on account of this strange sort of hiatus we're on. Yeah, I mean, there's just uh, for the work side of things. There's obviously just a, a, a lot more nostalgia going on right now, and, yeah, and honestly, yeah. that's that that stuff's a lot of fun. Like, you know, in a vacuum, would I rather talk about whether the Bad Boy Pistons and the Jazz were, you know, which one was tougher? Or, you know, talk about whether or not the Sacramento Kings of 2020 are going to catch the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, it's not even close. You need that conversation about the Pistons and the, and the, and the Jazz. Um, you know, I. it's also fun because I've been in the NBA space for so long, but this documentary for me represents, you know, the entire era right before I came along. Not even right before. It's about 10 years before. Uh, well, I guess seven years before I came along. And and so it, it, it's fresh. I mean, I was watching as a fan. Um, I told this story the other day. When I was in college in Sacramento State, I used to work at a grocery store, and I would uh, frequently have work to do in the produce section. And, uh, and over time, I, I learned that Dennis Rodman's ex-wife and Dennis's daughter lived in Sacramento, and they used to come into to my grocery store like once a week. And, I, you know, it was kind of surreal because I was watching the Bulls, you know, that we're now seeing in this documentary. And like a, a world away, you know, you had kind of a, the personal element of Dennis's life that was just kind of doing their thing in a di- very different part of the country. But, I mean, that was my press row seat. That's as close as I got. You know, I was in a different place in life. So to watch this now um, and know what I know, having covered the league for so long, it's fun, and I'm living vicariously. I mean, one of my favorite parts, you know, David Aldridge, who I work with now at The Athletic, is like the media rock star of this documentary because of his, you know, storied career where he's getting heavily featured because he lived it. Uh, part of me's jealous. Like, I wish I came along younger. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, he was born earlier because a lot of my friends uh, are some of the more prominent people getting interviews here. You know, Jay Adande, people like that. Um, it's just, it's fun to watch because it also was a little bit of a, it was a throwback time uh, from a media standpoint where the stars, the Jordans, the Barclays, and everybody in between, you know, they needed the media more than they do now. And so, you know, they were even a bigger part of that ecosystem than I think we are now. I wonder if other people of your uh, generation, for lack of a better word, are feeling the same way. I bet they are. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, things have changed for sure, and it's not you know, the game has changed, the media industry has changed, um, and but the the gem of this whole doc obviously is that it just seems you know it's just a wonderful surprise that you know they they had the kind of footage that uh, you never would have thought you know if you had this this kind of footage you run it twenty years ago you don't hold on to it for twenty two years and we've talked before about the backstory there. Um, but yeah, it's got me kind of in my, you know, feeling about, um, just that era. I mean, even not to get too sidetracked guys, but like 
forget if I mentioned this on the show last week, but you know how we had Andy Thompson on our podcast, the, the guy who shot all the footage? Right. From uh-huh. him. So, so Andy had told us a story on our podcast about how one of the reasons there was such a delay to The Last Dance is because another documentary kind of got in their way. It was the uh, Jordan to the Max IMAX special that they started filming during the playoffs in 98. And really, the NBA entertainment people kind of got annoyed by that. And and that was like the first delay. So uh, just the other day, it kind of occurred to me, I just sitting there, you know, uh, for some reason this thought came to mind. I was like, wait a minute. I, I got Jordan to the max in my DVD cabinet. Like, I watched that thing like crazy back in the day. And and so even now, like, I just pulled that thing out today. It's on my kitchen counter. And, it, you know, whenever I can carve out 90 minutes, I'm going to be watching, you know, another Jordan thing just because I'm enjoying watching that whole era. Well, Sam, thank you as always for jumping on with us. And uh, thank you for being uh, Gordon and my, for that matter, beacon of optimism that we may indeed have basketball in some way, shape, or form again. Thank you, sir. We'll see you guys. Everybody's got to stay healthy and tests obviously got to be administered. So no guarantees, but they're definitely still hoping. I'm looking forward to uh, bowing in your presence, Sam, and saying you were right. Yeah, well, I just be nice to see you, and, and maybe even I, I don't know if we're ever going to be allowed to shake hands again. Maybe we'll fist <laughs> down, Gordon. But hope right. you guys can hang in there. Thanks, guys. Stop you. Thank All you, right, Sam. Thanks, uh, Sam Amick from the Athletic. He joins us on Thursdays, your daily assist right here on the Big Show on ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty, the Zone. And you know, Gordon, I is when there's a will, there's a way, and if if they can possibly pull it off, they're going to do it, and that that makes me happy. I, it really does. Figure out a way. Let's get it done. Let's let's. Let's let's all come together and trying to find out how to best live our lives successfully through the near future. It'd give everybody a lift. It would, I think. Yeah, unless somebody gets sick, and then uh, then it would drag us right back down. Sorry, I I don't I know. Didn't, I didn't mean to. You go you all, absolutely did, but I don't me. think one test or one positive would would shut something down like it has before. I th- I think if they get to this something, they'll be prepared to move that person off the line, test, and deal with those situations. They'd have to. Well, you would hope so. They'd right. have to, and in fact, they're doing that in in the world today. These essential businesses that actually the federal government is forcing to stay open—that's exactly what they're doing. So, why would the NBA be any different? Yeah, I, I suppose so. We shall see. We're all just guessing, you know. And one thing Frank said is, "Don't." When I talked with him earlier today, before we had him on the air, he said. Don't always be looking forward to when it's guessing when it's going to end, you know, because all that does is frustrate you after a while. Just ride that wave until uh, until it actually happens and you feel good about it. And I think there's something to be said for that. I do, too. But if we can ride that wave and watch basketball at the same time, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? Well, watch out for the Sharks. Ugh. All right, we'll have more coming up next. Big thanks to Sam Amick for jumping on with us. As always, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.